Welcome to Eterna. Keep your dice rolling, your friends close, your monsters closer, and don't let the old gods bite. Hello, and welcome to an Eldritch Dream Games production of the Eterna Podcast. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. From the LCP D&D podcast, we have Tim Demuse, Wesley Sullivan, and Brian Bridges. From our sister podcast, Dustress, as well as the Hex Grid Heroes Network, we have Don Bewley. And also from Dustress, as well as Action Forge, we have Brian Rafe. Please stay tuned after the story to hear about the great projects these guys are working on. And thank you so much for supporting us. We would like to recognize and thank Wes for becoming our first patron to unlock the tier of Spy of the Stone Queen, and unlocking uncut episodes soon to be hitting our Patreon. Check the episode description for links if you would like to join him. I'd also like to add a foreword to this episode. This is the second time we had to record this episode due to technical difficulties, so near the end there will be a short portion where I narrate some things we didn't have the time to record again. With that said, please enjoy episode 30, Divine Intervention. Last time on Dick and Balls C, y'all played evil people. But uh, this time on Dick and Balls Z, uh, we are back with the good party of Riley and Leaf and Brock and Adira. And you were attending a wedding. As the vows were said and the rings were given and the, the smooches were made, there was a discordant toll as the third toll from the great ring sounding the new year. This discordant toll came with a great cracking and the ring that the world flies through to mark the passing of a year began to rupture and break apart. Bolts of lightning seemingly in slow motion spread across the sky, ripping open and to what quickly becomes apparent to be some sort of portal. The entire city of Starlight stands in shock and horror as they look up. It seems as though the portal leads to a sunny place. And it's almost as if by looking up, you look down upon a barren desert-like ground. Various people seem to be charging across it. Loud bangs and shouts and blasts of what seem to be arcane energy uh, ripping across what appears to be some sort of battlefield. Ripples appear in this portal. From said ripples emerge enormous tentacles. Dozens of feet across and hundreds of feet long. They begin to wreak devastation, not only on the other side of the portal, but also on this side. Buildings come crashing to the ground. Streets and roads are ripped from the earth. One in particular begins to head in the general direction of the road where the wedding was held as our party who is attending is standing there with the newlyweds. 
Well, I, I mean, as things are blowing up, I'm assuming like all of us are on pretty much on the same page of like uh, grouping at, or getting as many people's attention as possible to like move to a safe location. Like, I feel like the, the four of us are a good rally points to try to usher as many people to a secure position as possible. Yeah, I think wasn't Tava's cart there? Like, weren't we all trying to get there, sitting at where all of our stuff is, trying to move everything along? It was off to the side a bit, but yeah. So yeah, it's probably mostly just ushering uh, wedding guests and um, others, you know, away from the wedding site. Probably towards our um, our carriage, just because that's where all our stuff is, so that we can get that and start moving as well, but yeah. And Brock would be paying special attention to protecting uh, his friends. As you are all doing this, it becomes apparent that the tentacle that's aligned with the street you're on is far away, but moving very quickly and is quite massive. It connects several streets down with the ground and a wave of earth and cobbled stone erupts uh, from the point of contact and it continues to drag through the earth in the direction of your group. The crowds are scattering, turning to run in any direction they can, uh, going down alleys, running directly away, and what have you. You try and get people to safety. The tentacle becomes so close that the 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 fear of what's about to happen, I think, hits everybody kind of at once. But it's at that moment that each of you begin to vanish in rapid succession. Leaf is consumed in a whirl of polychromatic leaves. Adira, faceted, crystal-like distortion envelops her. Brock, a dancing bit of starlight, scatters around you, and you vanish. Riley, a moment before you vanish, Victoria, who is very near you, uh, is consumed by a yellow light with the buzzing sound of wasps and bees before you yourself are whisked away on a light of golden amber. You all now stand in a starry space, hung very high above the city of starlight as you look down. More people around you uh, begin to populate this seemingly edgeless area with nebulae and shifting stars around the horizon uh, seem to gather. Looking down, you can see destruction is being wreaked upon the city of starlight. More buildings topple you notice something fall from the sky where the portal is crashing through a clock tower and into a nearby uh, wooded area near the edge of the city. Looking around, more and more people, though with some fair distance put between them, begin to appear and gather. Looking just as confused, if not more so, than each of you. 
uh, you have a moment if you'd like to say or do anything. So I, I feel like uh, Riley's immediate reaction upon, you know, actually like settling in this weird uh, location is to look around at his uh, guilds to make sure that everyone at least looks okay. Um, then focus on Victoria to make sure she's okay. And finally look towards uh, Tava to see if she in particular has any idea what's happening. She has absolutely no clue. She looks confused. Brock would be taking like account of who all's there and kind of like Riley, you know, like making sure everybody's okay. And then as soon as he realizes like uh, Max and Shaylin aren't there, he's going to start trying to look around and see if he can see them anywhere. We can just like look straight down and see the town, right? Yeah, but you are quite a distance above it, so like picking out individual people is not gonna. But it's it's not like we're like standing on a cloud or whatever. It's it's like those like bridges on mountaintops in China where it's just like a glass floor. Uh yeah, it it's effectively a god level version of the rope trick spell. Yeah, so <laughs> so like Leaf is just kind of like standing there, like uneasy on his feet, like looking down. Oh, no, no, this is bad. Where, What's happening? Where are we? So, Riley, it looks like everybody is certainly confused and concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody looks injured. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he, he'll uh, kind of reflexively take Victoria's hand, not particularly wanting to uh, lose her after looking for her for so long. Then, uh, since Tava doesn't really have any idea what's going on, Lee, uh, he'll look towards Leaf and say, um, do you have any idea what's happening? No. I don't know what those things are. I don't know where we're at. He's just, at this point, he's just kind of like holding on. Like, Bo- we, we said Box was up here too, right? Yeah, Box is with you. Yeah, so he's, he's just kind of like holding on to like box to like steady himself and he's like looking down he's like those people need our help like I guess trying to observe our surroundings so yeah Riley's just like slowly nodding like uh, uh, agreeing with what Leaf is saying and as equally confused and perplexed about the situation um and then I, I imagine that he like looks at Brock and notices that Brock is probably like more or less obviously looking for his friends and not finding them. And uh, Riley will say, uh, Brock, do you see them anywhere? Uh, he'd shake his head. Uh, no, I don't. I don't see anyone. And uh, so, uh, Sean, how far away are like the other people that are up here? Are they like a really decent distance away? I'd say probably the closest person to you is probably around 100 feet away. They're not, like, beyond shouting at, but it'd take a minute to get there. Yeah, that, that I guess that begs the question, how does uh, sound actually carry here if we speak up? Is there an echo or anything? No echo. The sound seems pretty thin over a distance, but it does carry. But there's no echo or anything like that. Uh, then if that, they're that far away, Brock would probably be calling out for them. Yeah, and Riley will help out, like, calling in the opposite direction, so that sound might cover more distance or whatever. 
A few people look over, but nobody seems to, like, be like, oh, that's my name. Uh, then, at that point, Brock would look down. Uh, can we see if people are still in the city? Uh, go ahead and make me a perception check. It's, it's gonna be difficult. <sighs> Damn it, I'm so bad at those. Uh, 23. Okay. So, like, you look down, you can certainly see movement still in the city. Uh, people running, people trying to escape. Uh, you can't pick out, like, oh, that person, or anything like that. Like, the most you'd be able to tell is, that person there is wearing a particularly bright color sort of thing. Like, you can't get anything But else I do really see that it. there are people still stuck down there. Yes. Yeah. Then he would kind of look back up to Ryland. He would go, I think, I think they're down there. Looking, like, kind of nervous about it. Uh, Riley, like, <clears throat> will uh, follow Brock's gaze, glance down, um, then uh, glance back up at Brock and uh, squeeze Victoria's hand just a little bit and turn towards her. And um, uh, just, I don't want to say whisper, but he says softly, um, I don't know what's going on, but do not leave my side, please. I don't know what's going on either. I wouldn't right now. And she, like, kind of holds onto your arm. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, with that, Riley will probably fall into a little bit of, uh, a silence that's uncharacteristic of such a talky character like Riley as he tries to figure out something, anything. I think at this point, uh, something you hadn't noticed before but you realize has been growing in intensity since you arrive uh, as a feeling like you are being called somewhere and each of you would have that uh, is there anything off in the direction that Brock is being called to uh, you look off that direction and you, you look and you kind of squint and you see like a sparkle of starlight and it begins to flutter and you can sort of like see uh, this majestic blue uh, butterfly that's kind of iridescent and it's kind of just like flying in a circular fashion yeah then Brock would just kind of be like I I see something that direction kind of start walking that way alright you take all of maybe five or six steps before that same uh, sort of fluttering starlight shudders around you and you vanish. Is anybody going to do anything at that? Uh, can I pursue him? If he like steps and vanishes, just like Brock? You, you walk over, run over to the spot where he was and there's no sign of him. And you feel this growing urge uh, as well, uh, this growing call. Just kind of look over in the direction of the call. You, you too, look into, uh, into the horizon and see what almost looks like a, uh, like a sparkling outline of a tree with, uh, a few 
oddly placed knot holes that that almost give it the semblance of a face. He just kind of scrunches up his face like he's he's trying to understand and, and then he just starts stepping forward. As you do, once again, after only a few short steps, the whirling polychromatic leaves uh, swirl around you again, and so Leaf has vanished. Adira, uh, whose throat is pretty screwed up, or Tracy, whose throat's pretty screwed up right now, has said that Adira, uh, who is seeing sort of like a... uh, almost like a crystal pattern uh, does the same as she will vanish into that distortion just as she did when arriving here. Box is kind of just standing around uh, because he doesn't go to join the meeting. So Riley, you have this ever-growing sense of being called uh kind of like behind you and you notice that victoria too seems to be like having her attention drawn in a similar direction right and and i feel like riley does his best to like ignore that calling um to to focus on his, his companions only to like realize that in the span of like 10 seconds all his companions have like meandered off to their own callings and have disappeared so, um, uh, him and Victoria being the last one standing, he, uh, like, glances off in the direction he's being called, then looks back at Victoria, who I'm imagining has also, like, uh, glanced off in the direction she's being called, um, before yes. she, like, returns her attention to him, and they both, uh, uh, meet gazes once again. Um, and, uh, Riley will just kind of simply ask you, you feel it too, don't you? Something calling me. Well, it seems the guild has found it in their own individual best interest to pursue the callings. And I don't think I'd be much of a leader if I were to stand here and just simply wait for the return. Alright. Just, Victoria... I'll do my best to return from wherever I'm going, but I, I I would like for you to promise to do the same because I promise that I will return here to see you again. And I promise to see you again right here. And Riley uh, pulls her into a deep kiss um, before uh, the, the I imagine the two part ways to heed their own callings. Alright. So the yellow buzzing light uh, consumes Victoria at the same time as the warm amber light that uh, that teleports Riley <clears throat> and I think we will uh, start with Riley uh, we'll go in discord order this time so ooh nice <laughs> so Riley, as you step through this light, uh, you find before you a door is swinging open. 
and you're walking into what appears to be a very fine, uh, if not quaint, tavern. A beautiful woman with wings on her back moves behind the bar, and a single, fairly handsome uh, man who looks to be uh, slightly your elder, though not by much, seems to be drinking at the bar. Uh, he looks over and raises his mug. Ah, I was hoping you'd come by. Riley just uh, does a quick glance around the uh, tavern before uh, meeting the gaze of this stranger and uh, approaching the uh, bar, uh, saying, So were you expecting me, or were you the one that summoned me here? Uh, both. I guess neither is wrong. And he'll like tap the mug that he's drinking from and it'll like just split into two identical mugs and uh, slide the next one over to you. Riley like pauses for a second, taken aback by the uh, fantastic display of uh, I guess magic for no uh, better term for it before he shakes his head and says, you do realize the tragedy happening in Starlight and that there's people who could use my and my companion's assistance right now at this very moment, don't you? He gets kind of a forlorn expression on his face and just like, yeah, unfortunately, there's bigger fish to fry. Normally, I wouldn't agree with that sort of attitude, but it's important. Bigger fish than attempting to save the lives of countless within starlights there are others trying to save people down there but you mr morheim you're special so you've heard of me you could say i've heard of you you'd say i've probably been watching you a while riley uh uh nods a little bit and uh leans against the bar and um, says, well, then you seem to have me at a disadvantage, for I know not who you are. <laughs> yeah, you weren't raised with the churches, really. He'll hold out his hand to shake yours. Caden, Caden Callion. Yes. So Riley doesn't have a lot of knowledges, and certainly not knowledge religion, but I, I feel like the name of the, you know, the gods is something most people would commonly know. So yeah, that's um, a common god, especially uh, praised in taverns, which I feel like uh, he might have frequented at the time. Yeah, Riley even worked at a tavern um, in his late teens for a while. So um, once once Caden actually like introduces himself there, although Riley's still like concerned about what was going on in Starlight and everything that's going on with his friends, there's a, a small smirk of like being face to face with Caden. Uh, I guess. And um, Riley says, So, Caden uh, Callion, you've heard of me, Riley, Riley Morheim, of the Riley Morheim Guild, formerly known as the Riley Morheim Company. Yeah. As uh, as short and recent as that, that has all been. I've known about you since before you were born. Well, that's strange. 
a little creepy and strange. Uh, admittedly, but well, when you're a god, you can do things kind of strangely, and you know things kind of strangely. It's difficult to explain on a uh, well, to anybody who hasn't kind of been able to do it. You know? Riley, uh, nods a little bit and then he begins to ask the question of who the girl is behind the tavern or behind the bar but halfway through the question he pauses and um then uh says uh so like he starts like who's and he begins pointing to her and then he stops and says how how is starlight faring right now how are they doing what is happening in starlight well the city, by the time you get back to it, it'll be a wreck. It'll be in shambles. There'll be a lot of bad there. There will be survivors. And there will be a lot of people who escaped. And there will be a lot of people who didn't make it out. Then, that's all the more reason for you to send me back immediately so I can help prevent a majority of that. No. You'll just die. Says you. <laughs> Look, Riley. As shitty as it is, and trust me, it's shitty. There's a little bit of time we gotta take to make sure that the people we picked stay alive. We. The gods. I see. And this is where my guild has spread out to? Yeah. Hell of a coincidence, by the way. Well, tell me, Caden, do you believe in fate? Yeah, more or less. Then again, when you kind of know that fate's more of an entity, yeah. Just maybe not quite the same way you do. Uh, Riley just like nods and files that comment away in the back of his head. Well, I certainly do know how to pick companions then. That much is true. You got a good bunch. I believe so. But there's a reason you you specifically called me here. Right, yeah. Uh, you might want to drink up. I've had quite a bit at the wedding down below. You're going to need more. Riley just, like, takes a casual look around. He, like, glances at the woman behind the bar, who I'm sure, like, encourages him, right? <laughs> yeah, and at this point, being much closer to the bar itself than when he entered, uh, he would notice that below the waist, she uh, has a serpentine body uh, covered in golden scales. Hmm. He uh, noticeably takes note of that and reaches out for the uh, the mug of ale on the bar. Uh, as you take it, uh, you notice uh, that it glows faintly with a similar amber light as to uh, the one that teleported you here. I suppose, Caden, it would be certainly a shame to turn down a drink that you specifically offered. <laughs> I don't know how I'd live with myself if I did so. A uh, few people have ever turned down a drink from me. <laughs> Riley, uh, Gives him a grin and uh, 
I guess we'll uh, we'll drink up. He'll clasp mugs with you, yeah, uh, in hearty fashion. Uh, and when you when you take a drink, like you just feel this like power, almost like water running over your rib cage, and then like this just warm uh, feeling, uh, kind of like getting buzzed in <laughs> your uh, in in your heart. And you feel immediately more powerful. Yeah, so, like, Riley chugs. Like, I imagine he starts drinking, realizes just how invigorating the drink is, and just doesn't stop until it's empty. Almost, like, completely out of his control at that point. Um, he, he, would, he would find probably several seconds in that it's not running out. And oh. he's running out of breath. Okay, great. So yeah, you're right. He probably stops when stops when he realizes that he needs to breathe and he begins coughing <laughs> and like forcibly sets down the mug and just coughs out a little bit. Uh, he he would notice that after maybe only a, a but probably by the time he's finished coughing, the mug is full again. Uh, though its distinctive glowing uh, has uh, become far more muted. <coughs> you <coughs> make good ale, Kellyan. <coughs> I've got some special ingredients. But Riley, there's a reason I asked you to drink. I gave you some power, and the power is going to be up to you to grow. And he will go into an explanation as to why. But while he's doing that, we're going to go over to Brock. So when Brock steps through uh, the shimmering starlight, he finds himself in a field full of beautiful scenic imagery with a light breeze and twinkling stars of every color imaginable above his head. A truly serene place of beauty. Looking around, he would notice a few of the stars in the sky seem to begin moving in unison before he hears the gentle fluttering of wings. And a woman with large butterfly-like wings uh, sort of just fades into existence uh, with the wings beat. And sets herself in front of him. Not really any larger than he is. Uh, as she sets down, he would kind of look around and just be, uh, like, obviously very confused. And he would look to the woman and say, where, where am I at? Brock. Welcome. This is Starlight Field. You, for the moment, are in Elysium. Dead? No, you are not dead. But you have been called here for a reason. Would he be able to, at this point, like, seeing her, would he be able to tell who she is? Um, make me a religion check. I feel like the odds are pretty good, but... I don't know, like, if the iconography would be, like, you know, match well enough. You're like, oh, that, uh, 15. 
Yeah, he would he would be damn near certain. Oh, then uh just kind of just right in the middle of this, just as soon as he realizes who she is, like his eyes are gonna just go wide of like holy shit. You, you know, literally talking to my god. Uh, and he's immediately just gonna kinda like kneel before her and kinda bow and you know, do all of that. Um as you kneel, she uh, she lowers herself a bit, and she's like, there's no need for that. But you are... You are, you are Desna. You have... You are the reason I have, I have left home. You have... I am, but I'm no queen. I'm yes, no one to bow are, to. You are more than a queen. You are a goddess. Yes, but do not bow to me. I don't rule over you. Nor do I rule over anybody. It's your heart that brought you here. But why is it that I have been brought here while so many seem to be suffering down on the ground? My friends are down there. I've done what I can to help them. I know that you would be devastated if because you left that they fell so I shielded them from the destruction but I'm afraid there's very little more I can do well thank you thank you for that she'll nod to you but for for what purpose have I been called here you along with many others are to be a champion to the gods. Each of us has one. And you are mine. Uh, he would kind of just look at her in shock. I? You have chosen me? Yes. Uh, he would kind of, he wouldn't do the whole kneeling again, but he would kind of bow again and say, I, I am honored. It is unfortunate, Brock, that it comes to this. We were prepared for it happening, but few wish to believe what was coming. That that thing that was happening? Is, is, that, is that what has come? The monster that a, was destroying the city? A small piece of a much bigger problem. I will tell you everything you need to know about that. Do you have any questions for me before that? You... You had answered my call before, but your answer was difficult to determine when I asked you for assistance with the, uh, the piece of the dragon that I had absorbed into myself and whether or not that is, that is a danger to me. It is no danger to you, though currently it doesn't provide you much either. The world you live in did not form during the creation. It was made a short time ago in the grand scheme of things. 
And part of what it was made with was the sacrifice of many powerful dragons. They gave their bodies and their blood to help make sure that the world would hold strong. That Eterna would hold strong, the world you call Saluna. And so there are many old dead dragons buried beneath its surface. That is a small shard, but one that may be able to help you attain others. So I need to seek these ancient dragons out? You may. It's not paramount, but it could certainly prove helpful in the long run. Do you know where where I could find them? I know where a couple are, but there is one that you should avoid trying to attain until you're stronger. And it is the one on Clawhorn Isle. I know not where that is, but I suppose if I ever hear the name, I shall be wary of it. You will know where it is uh, before too long. She'll explain that uh, there are a couple of others. Uh, one is in a swamp to the east of uh, to the east of Starlight but it has its own dangers surrounding it and there is another deep below the earth near the center of the world uh, that she knows of and she knows that there are many more but not their locations uh, he would thank her for the locations of them and uh he would say that is all that he needed to know other than whatever objective she has for him. Alright then. This is what we're up against. And she too will go in to explain what is going on. And then we go to Leaf. Oh. As you step through the whirling leaves, you find yourself in a softly lit uh, grove. Several uh, several stumps uh, line the grove of old fallen trees or the stumps are to old fallen trees upon which uh, several have sat various uh, strange creatures in various poses seeming to be meditating one in particular catches your eye as it is the only one that seems to move at your appearance uh, merely opening an eye to look at you a strange six-armed creature, thin and gangly, made of wood, with a sort of almost like mask-shaped face, like a bent piece of bark with several green eyes upon its front. I mean, he, he just kind of stands there for a second and takes in his surroundings. He'll, he'll turn around and look for his companions and do another quick uh, 360 looking for box and when he doesn't see any of them uh, he kind of just starts stepping 
forward, and I, I guess the only one of the folks that are there and animate is the one that, that kind of opened its eye to, to look at him. So I guess he starts approaching that figure. As you start to take steps, the surrounding area is rather um, amazing in its uh, in its breadth of color and serenity. A great wood where the trees stretch high to the sky in various colors and uh, species. One thing, however, that stood out above all the rest is a truly massive and wide-rooted tree whose canopy spreads over much of the area and whose leaves shift in hue and color, some even glowing. You hear a voice echo from the direction of this tree. Young gold thrush, welcome. Leaf just kind of stops in his tracks and looks for the source of the voice. As you look at the tree, um, you slowly kind of uh, realize that some of the finer bits of its uh, external anatomy make up a mostly inanimate face uh, that has features that shift depending kind of how your eyes focus on them but there always seems to be a face sometimes it's like an old mustachioed man and sometimes it's it's more plant-like uh much like box sometimes it's like the face of a woman uh other times like the face of an animal uh just kind of depending on how your eyes focus and how you decide to look at it where where am I? Who who are you? You are in my sacred grove. And I have many names. Some people call me Papa Oak. Others Mother Willow. Some call me the first tree. Some call me Brother You. I have many names. But none of them matter. So... Why am I here? What happened to the city? Because... You will be one of those chosen to put the world back in order to return the balance that it once held to chase out the evil that has come The world has been attacked, its defenses crippled, broken. 
the gods cannot interfere any more than they have now. We must have champions. And, and, and that's what this is? A, a nomination? You are my champion, young leaf. You and your companion, Box. How do I help? At that point, I feel like um, the first tree will uh, go into what's going on. Meanwhile, Adira steps through the crystalline distortion and finds herself in a place that is mildly familiar. The Crystal Graveyard, home of the uh, Yamarage that saved her, the Psychopomp. Yes. Uh, it is good to see you again, though it has not been long. Is he going to have to go back to Abaddon now? No, you do not have to go back to Abaddon. But tell me, are you still afraid to die? No. Good. How has your trip to the world of the living been? It's annoying. I get tired, I get hungry. Can't touch anybody. The first two are truths of your existence. You are alive. The third, a combination of your trauma and your power. You are strong, Tava, as I now know you've been renamed. Maybe. Don't always feel like it. It is indeed strength. For in over 2,000 years, you roamed the black ashen plains, neither falling nor succumbing. You stand here before me, the same creature that went in, neither lost to oblivion nor daemon. None have provided such a feat in the past. I don't know that I can say I came out of it the same, but... True. But you are still you. And it has been a crucible for you. A much-needed hardening for what is to come. Tell me, is there anything you wish to ask of me 
before I tell you your task. You have given me enough. Very well. And then he, along with the other gods involved, go into an explanation about how Eterna, as they call it, or the world of Saluna, as its denizens know it, was created as a shield, a counterweight against a plane of existence, or rather a place between uh, the distant stars known as the Dark Tapestry, in which something so old, so terrible exists. The old gods, things that predate even the first, like Asmodeus and Apsu. It was created as a shield against these beings, but the shield has begun to crumble. They've broken through and have struck a devastating blow against this. It is the task of the champions to each find the idol associated with the champion's god. And while on the larger scope of gods, this group in particular are given some pretty similar instructions. To find the idols, they must investigate their pasts. They must find something from their past to help guide them to the idol. Because basically, while they could just tell you where it is, you'd probably just go straight there and die. Uh, it's not safe. And they do need you all to survive. Uh, it is understood that not every champion will survive. And thus, it's quite a dangerous endeavor. The gods can't interfere with this directly too much because in doing so, they risk utterly destroying what remains of the defense uh, and starting an all-out war with the old gods, which none of the gods speaking uh, are very confident in. At best, you've got Caden, who's like, it could go either way. And the gods would also explain that these idols once found must be placed in the spires, which are two mountains of inordinate height uh, to their diameter on opposite sides of the world. Uh, the spires will, now that they are needed, be open and within our many, many altars. These idols must be placed on the altars, and the higher the idol is placed, the more influence its associated god will have over the world when it's uh, put back the way it was, as they, or fixed. Like, slightly broken information, Leaf would learn that 
this could like affect how the weather works and how um, regions are divided. And I feel like he would particularly get that sort of information. And most of them do want their idols placed relatively high, just if not to actually hold influence, then to prevent the influence of uh, eviler gods or gods that they don't agree with. Uh, and that's the gist of what all, all of you get. I'm going to go back to Riley. Uh, before before you jump back to Riley, just kind of a general question based on the information you provided. Since the, and I don't think I've asked this before, um, but now that we're uh, going into deja vu territory, uh, there's two spires in the world. Does this mean there will be two gods, the highest point, or is it just like whoever gets to the highest point first and either gets full dominion? No, there there's two highest points, so they kind of share major responsibility whichever gods that is yeah okay okay that's neat (laughs) barring like one tower just not having anything placed on top for whatever reason uh there should be some sort of balance between the two okay good to know all right so caden's like and uh he kind of like shifts around with his drink there's one more thing which most of your friends well it's all your friends but most of the people aren't out there aren't getting the whole story there's another option uh and i honestly don't know whether it's a good one or not i don't know which one to pick So I'm going to leave that up to you. When you get my idol, you can put it up, upside down instead of right side up. And, uh, well, it'll tear everything down to shit. It'll jumpstart the war, basically. But it'll also give us a slight advantage I'm kinda I don't know I'm not the thinking type for this sort of stuff there's a few other gods in on it uh Ayamide you know she's she's got a good heart gonna stick up her ass but you know uh and then uh the one with the face that doesn't have a face. I'm not saying anything more than that because that's kind of what you don't do if you don't want him to know that you're talking about him. Okay, thoroughly confusing, but sure. Uh, he's the one that really wants it to happen, but you can't say his name or think about his face or do any of that fun stuff. So hopefully that gives you enough information. But that's about all I can say. And uh, Nethys knows about it. But I think... I'm not 100% sure. I think Nethys leans towards the... You know, go put all the stuff on the spire right side up. 
etc etc so does the inverse idol thing work for other gods or or is it specifically you and the ones you mentioned you know what that's a good question i'm not sure i see i think i think it's just us but i'm not sure it seems like something that the guy with the face would uh would say it's just us and then it not be or say it's not just us but isn't really specified again thoroughly confusing but moreover if this war were to take place what's our our odds of succeeding Uh, probably probably not the best Um, if it was because of the idols like I said we'd have a bit of an advantage Uh, from what I understand it's supposed to change defenses into offenses for the world but I like I said I don't know you have a good head on your shoulders and you've got friends I think you can trust I'll leave it up to you yes I don't know I don't I don't know which one's the right answer no and there may not be a right answer to the situation Caden though I'm just trying to make sure I understand all angles at play here and I'm almost giving the impression that either you're not aware of all the angles at play or you're uncaring about them. Well, like I said, I'm not the thinkiest of the gods. And, uh, nah, angles aren't necessarily my strong suit. And the, the guy that I'm talking about but not talking about... You know, angles are his strong suit. Riley nods and says, I suppose then I'll keep this under consideration see how I feel moving forward. Though the last uh, bit of information you might be able to give me on this particular subject, Caden, would be, if you and I were to be in opposite places, how would you personally move forward? You know, I was human, just like you once. I see a lot of me in you, so that's why I like you. But, uh... It's hard to think back like that. It's like... Seeing with your eyes... Half-closed. Straightforward and honest answer. I just move forward. Figure it out later. That... Sounds a lot like how I tend to approach things. See? And he kind of like mug in hand does that point at you thing. He just points at you and he's like, yeah. I suppose I'll have to give this some thought, though, if we do move towards the course of war, I'm assuming that it would be in our best interest to amass a large degree of forces on our side before instigating such a thing. It'd probably be smart. But a lot of it's going to be on a scale 
little bit bigger. But there'll definitely be things down, down to earth, so to speak. Mortals can make big changes, even the grand scheme of things. You can. Well then, I suppose that I have much to think about and many things to tend to, Starlight in particular, and most immediate. Though, tell me, Caden, you're, as a god, you're aware of many things. You have access to a large degree of information, correct? In ways, yeah. Uh, What do you want to know? The... You're aware of my encounter with the Flying Highwayman? Yeah, he's somebody I've had an eye on, too. I've noticed that the way he handles a blade is very similar to the way that I understand my father held a blade. Care to shine some light for a friend? He he kind of smirks and is like... I have a feeling... If you go about trying to find your idol you'll find out soon enough probably uh want to figure it out a little slower instead of having it broken to you at a time like this and he kind of like half burps well admittedly that's a very godly answer Caden but uh perhaps (laughs) in the future you and I could speak on more personable terms as man to man He's a good guy. You're a good guy. I'm sure you'll get along just fine. Y'all are closer than you'd think to each other. I'll I'll tell you that much. Well, I always assumed that I'd be meeting him again, so... He, he, he He, like, does, like, one of those faces that's, like, smirks and nods, but you can tell he's not saying everything. Alright. It's an important step on the path to not immediately going to the idol and dying. Just trust me on that. With like a half smirk, Riley just casually asks, I suppose in that same vein, you wouldn't be willing to reveal to me the circumstances surrounding my father's death, would you? He thinks for a minute. He's like, he like looks down in his drink and swirls it around and sees like you can see like light shining out of it and he's like looking into it so how much light you want should you're asking someone who's been motivated by his father's accomplishments for most of his life to know the truth behind my father's death would mean a significant deal to me. Yeah. Uh. Well, he didn't die of natural causes, I didn't tell you that much. Uh. He died in died in Helios and he keeps like looking in the drink and swooshing it around and uh I have a feeling that 
one of these days, you're probably going to meet his killer. Riley, like, takes a deep breath. And also tell you that if I tell you who it is and you go find them right now, you're almost certainly going to die. Even with that, any points, like, just at you in general, power. Well, Caden, you've only solidified some suspicions of mine. So I, I thank you for that. At the very least. I'll tell you this much, I guess, because it won't really give away enough to get you in deep trouble, I don't think. But, uh, your father was out in the plains, southern Helios, and, uh, uh, let's just say is a very, uh, very unassuming time. He was kind of caught off guard, but he fought well. He just wasn't enough. Well, Caden, with, with us, Riley says with a smile, I believed you up until the points where you said that my father fighting wasn't enough. Most people have limits. Sad fact. Riley goes to make a follow-up comments, but uh, finds himself uh, at a loss for witticisms. And, hey, uh, uh, before you go, he pulls a locket from around his neck and opens it, and you can see within it three very brightly glowing gemstones. Uh, here. And he, like, hands it out towards you. Yeah, Riley holds out an open hand to accept the gift. So when you take it, those bright gemstones kind of just dissolve into, like, shimmering little motes of light. Uh, and then they slowly start to fill in with three new gemstones. Uh, they're not glowing with godly power, but uh, a silver metallic like faceted gem a pink gemstone and a topaz like yellow all form and you can feel that they each represent a strong facet of what you hold very important uh the silver gemstone in the bottom left is your dedication to swordsmanship. The topaz gemstone, which does glow ever so slightly with an inner light, is your dedication to heroism. And the pink gemstone you feel uh, is your love for Victoria. And you also feel warm uh, thrum that matches your heartbeat uh, as you hold it. <clears throat> uh, with like a, a smile, Riley will close his hands around the locket. 
and uh, give Caden a very sincere and solid thank you for the gift. No problem. Probably need it. And I'll help you keep track of your girl, too. It's important. I do seem to keep losing her. <laughs> hey, uh, little forewarning. I guess. She'll be okay, but she's getting uh, dropped off somewhere else with another group of people somewhere she can do more good for now. Tell me, Caden. Riley, like, leans in just a little bit. Why do the gods hate me so much? I like you all right. (laughs) But, uh, it's not me moving her off, and Frankly, I didn't tell you this. You know, he like like pulls up a finger to his mouth and just like, uh, it's a secret. Okay, I understand. Thank you. And um, like Riley will uh, uh put on the locket and um, uh, say that you know I, I should probably. If, assuming I can just walk out that door to return to where I came from, see if my party's finished. He nods and says, Riley, Riley Morheim of the Riley Morheim Guild, formerly known as the Riley Morheim Company, Her Royal Majesty, Slayer of the Commander of the Black Keep Mansfield, son of Barrett and Allery Morheim, champion of Caden Gellion. And I'm assuming Caden adds that last bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he like, there we raises go. his. He raises his mug to you. <laughs> and Riley takes the, the mug from the bar and uh, returns the favor, taking one last swig of the divine ale um, before uh, beginning his departure, but stopping halfway to the door to turn around and address Caden one last time to uh, say, Caden, before I leave, Riley gestures to the rapier I'm sure Caden has at his side. Are you any good with that? Better than you can imagine. And he like smirks. You and I meet, Caden. Testing that. And I'll show you that a Morheim fights well. Strength is limitless. And uh, with that, Riley will uh, turn and leave the godly tavern. So, like, as you open the door and begin to vanish, uh, you'll hear his voice. You're like, I look forward to that. And now we go to Brock. Do you have any questions, Brock? Uh, Did she already tell me, like, where to go to find the thing? Yeah, the whole look at for it in your past, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't really think as long as uh, she explained like where to go and all I mean, of that, then. Uh... Uh, other than the point that you have to look into your past, like that—that's the where to go. Yeah, I mean. Oh. Uh, actually. 
And he would probably ask for a more detailed explanation of where to go. Um, yeah, he would say, uh, where exactly is it that I am to go to find this thing? My past is, at least recently, more traveled. But am I to return home, or... Is it something more than that? She kind of shakes her head. She kind of shakes her head and she uh, says, it's something you're going to have to look inward to find. But I have something for you that can help. And she, there's a, like a twinkle of a star in her wing and she like motions towards it and pulls out uh from seemingly nowhere uh, a what looks basically like a crystal handle and she says this is the Starforge it can help guide you help you find paths and it can serve you as a tool as well and she will offer it to you uh, he will reach out and take it um He'd look up at her, I guess. Yeah, he'd still look up at her. Uh, thank you. Um, how how exactly do I use it? She would uh, she would show you um, how to use it, both as like a light source, as a guide, um, both for like sort of like finding like a like. I want to go here and it'll like gauge, give you paths or just to go like here's a less prominent path or something that's been used less uh, as well as to how to how to form it into like a an object uh, after she's done showing him how to do all that he would not he said I will I will make sure to use it well he would uh, look back up at her and he would say, is there any advice you could give me for whatever it is I'm going to face? You will see a great many terrible things. You need to stay strong for yourself and for your friends. There are things that no one can conceive coming. Things that are ancient, things that are uncaring. I will do my best to stay strong in the face of whatever it is then. You are a rock for your friends, Brock. And I don't mean that jokingly. Uh, thank you. I will do everything I can to be there for them. If you'd like to return to them, and she'll... Uh, you'll see a, like, glimmering... Uh, like 
sort of like circle of starlight. Uh, he would kind of bow to her once more before eventually walking away. He would, before he steps all the way through, though, he would take you know, just a good look around of just, you know, Elysium and all of that and, you know, take it all in again before walking out. All right. Leaf. 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 So, young gold thrush, do you have any more questions? I I have so many questions, but they're not important. There are people down there that need our help now. I, I get what we must do. I, I understand the gravity of the situation, but... I'm needed elsewhere. It is unfortunate, Leaf, but necessary. You will not return for a short while. Many will escape, some will survive, even if they do not. But much of the damage is already done. And it is not just Starlight Leaf. That is just one small piece. Well... I'll do what I can to, to stop this tide. Whatever these things are. I won't let them gain a foothold here. Good. I have a gift for you. Something to aid in your travels and your mission. You hear a rumbling like, uh, Kind of like a distant earthquake or impact followed by the the um, rustling of many leaves and the creature you initially started to approach earlier uh will uncontort its body from the strange yoga-like position it was in and stand being quite tall uh and it will uh, approach a small uh, hollow in a nearby tree and pull out a uh, worn but sturdy looking uh, sort of like satchel and bring it forward to you. Just kind of reach out and take it and, you know, clutch it to my chest and... Uh give the slender figure a, a, a nod it will nod back to you and go back to its uh its stump and slowly assume a very uncomfortable looking pose though it seems to be in no discomfort i, I guess i just 
look back to the trainers. Will I be seeing you again? By all chances, young leaf. Yes. Then the the journey of a thousand steps. And he just kind of like nods and turns. And uh, you will find yourself in another flurry of leaves. And we go to Adira. Yes. So, Tava, do you understand? Well, I assume, since you said I don't, I have to go back to Avedon. It's not my past I'm looking for. True. From one thought. Her past is in ways your own. I didn't make those decisions. She did. True. But you were born of them. You know I'll do what you ask. Yes. And I have another gift for you. He will pluck a single crystal feather uh, from his back. And uh, it will float down to you. And she'll catch it. When you do, it shines brightly and disappears into your hand. You feel a surge of energy uh, take root deep within you. And though unbeknownst to you, your eyes are no longer a pale vision of death. Your lips take on a rosy hue, and for all but the strip that is woven into the last feather he gave you, your hair returns to its its black color. And this. In the hand where uh, the feather went in, a gauntlet and vambrace and pauldron appear, uh, made of silver uh, with a glowing gem on the gauntlet. These will help aid you in the coming journey. And when the journey's done? When the journey is done, you decide. Then I have a lot to consider. Indeed. And he like, kind of just like moves his head down and like motions in a direction. And you'll see that uh, there is another crystal portal waiting for you. Sure kind of bow to him and turn around and walk out. Does she have any questions? No. Alright. She has instructions. Okay. Thing I'm going to 
rewind a bit, Brock, when you were speaking with Desna, she would have touched your chest and a spark of power within you would have awoken. And Leaf, when the first tree was speaking to you, he would have shaken his leaves and one would have fallen kind of like a maple seed, like the little whirly gigs. Yeah. And would have come down to you and similarly taken metaphorical root within you. And you are all mythic one. You all you all return to the space in the sky. Boxes boxes there waiting. Um Victoria returns at about the same time. Uh Riley, uh, you would notice her looking a bit distraught slightly, like uh she she's bearing bad news. Yes, and I I think that uh, upon reunion with Victoria, right, one of the first things Riley does is just kind of like um, brace her cheek with one hand and look her in the eyes and uh, tell her that um, I know that we'll be parting soon. That much has been made clear to me. It is unfortunate. I'm sorry. You don't need to apologize, Victoria, for the will of the gods and for how things are moving forward. Especially considering that I will find you again. Not if I don't find you first. I suppose it's a race, then. Good one. I'm assuming, Victoria, that you've gotten similar information that I have, that we've both been told similar things. And, like, Riley will briefly, like, run down some of the stuff he's been told by uh, Caden, and I'm assuming it matches up mostly with what she's been told by uh, Calistria, unless she somehow met some other god, which would be weird. No, uh, it was Calistria. Okay. Everything pretty much save for the bit about the flipping shit upside down and starting a war. Nobody nobody in the group has heard about that. Then, um... I guess a little bit glossing over that discrepancy, Riley will say... Uh, I think... Moving forward, Victoria, one of the most important things to keep in mind. Though we act on the accord of gods and have been giving powers from the gods, we ourselves are still mortal. And I feel like that is an important idea to keep in mind as we move forward. That we are mortals. Before too much longer, you would all kind of discuss that a bit. Mm -hmm. Because I think you talk about it more later yeah that's fine um and eventually get hoarded down and after being returned to the surface of the world our party found themselves in starlight again surrounded by destruction 
After some further discussion about what the gods had told them and clarifying that they had all been given similar missions and to seek their pasts, they found Tova's wagon and miraculously her horse, though it was nearly starved to death. After clearing the area and feeding the horse, they went in search of Clint. Along the way, they made a few discoveries. Buried beneath buildings, rubble, and even just laying in the street were the bodies of the people who were unable to escape the city in time. Their rotting corpses gave some semblance of time to Leaf and Brock, who determined that it had been two or three weeks since the gods had whisked them away to safety. A pair of fresh corpses were also found, infected with some sort of disease that had rendered their blood a purplish color. When the party arrived at the museum, it was in shambles, but still standing. They hadn't seen a living person so far, though at one point Brock had noticed some movement along the fallen buildings. Clint was nowhere to be found, nor was Mozart the donkey, though the other cart was still there, unharmed behind the museum. It is now that our party roams around the edge of the city, seeking clear paths deeper inside through the rubble and destruction, and where we will leave you until next week. Hi, this is Tracy, the voice of a deer. I would like to take a moment to tell you about a new podcast. It's called Dustrous. We have a pre-colonialism Native American, a Old West gambler, and a modern-day teenager from Detroit. Dropped off in a brand new world full of magic and absolute chaos. I am the DM. I will try to wrangle them and guide them as they make their journey across this world and maybe learn some new things and right some wrongs. If you like high magic fantasy, this is definitely a world for you. You can find us on Twitter at Dustrous Podcast, and we hope you join us there and in the Discord. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. My name is Don. You can find me do other tabletop RPG podcasts over at HexgridHeroes.com. I'm currently rebooting a Starfinder campaign, and I'm the voice of Pokemon trainer Cory in Pokemon Seichao. Over there, I also sit down with a couple of my friends and we discuss how a horror movie can be used in a haunted house setting. If you'd like to hear me talk more about horror movies, I also do a horror movie review podcast over on the Necropodicon Network. It's right there in the name, How to Survive a Horror Movie, where we talk about movies like Legion, Hush, and Quiet Place, and we talk about how the people in the movie could have survived this better and what would be our perfect sequel. That's all for me for now. You never know I'm going to have another project, so follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Don Buley. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. I'm Brian. I run Action Forge, a tabletop RPG YouTube channel where we dive into all sorts of topics. If you want to learn more, head over there and check it out. Also, if you want updates on all my various projects and some awesome tabletop RPG memes, go ahead and check me out over at Twitter where I'm at Action Forge. You go into a mining settlement called Fillmore's Crossing. It's about 30 miles outside of the control zone. Do y'all know what the control zone is? Of course we do. Oh, of course Naturally. I know what the control, control zone is. I mean, control, like, of course we know what the control yeah, zone is. You guys, you zone guys probably like, like the zone. I fucking hate both of you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird stuff's been going on in Fillmore's Crossing. We just got word that three days ago, Elmer's wife, she tore the three kids limb from limb and doesn't remember doing it at all. Sounds like it's like the, the Wild West out there. <laughs> <laughs>
LCP D&D is an actual play D&D 5e podcast. Our current adventure is set in the Wild West and features magic, orcs, vampires, and an all-original soundtrack. Listen in by searching for LCP D&D on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, and CastBox. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and even hang out with us in our Discord server, LCP D&D. If you'd like to become a patron, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash eldritchdream. We have a bunch of rewards for Dustress and Aeterna involved. You can also join us in the Hive, that's our Discord, linked in the episode description. You can also find links to our Tee Public, where we have tons of designs for various types of merch. Hit us up on Twitter or Discord. We love to hear from everyone and enjoy making new friends. And until next time, everybody, may the Elder Gods haunt your dreams. But, our heroes were not the only ones chosen by the gods. Among the multitudes, four wicked souls were pooled together. Gareth had finally attracted the ire of the guards, now reinforced with paladins, and was engaged in a bloodbath of a battle with them when the ring cracked. Coriander sneaked around the fence, trying to drag away the fresh meat that had already fallen. Thana and Wilhelm left a trail of mysteriously withered and broken bodies behind them, and they had noticed both Gareth and Coriander within the closing minutes of the year, aiding them from afar in the bloodbath. When the final toll came and destruction reigned, they too were called to the starry place. Gorum called on Gareth, offering him a taste of life through battle and war to complete his quest and aid those he was to be placed with. Nocticula called on Thana, delivering her wishes with promises of pleasure and pain unlike any she had ever tasted. Coriander was summoned by Thristandir, the Blackbriar, monarch of the darkest wild hunt. Given the title of Black Hound, a mission, and a promise of revenge. Wilhelm was summoned by Zonkuthon, the father of pain. Given his mission and the tools needed to satisfy his desires in the most cruel of fashions, even against those who would normally be immune. Who shall succeed? Will our heroes place their idols high? Will wickedness prevail, calling down darkness and damnation for the denizens of Saluna? Or will the war come? Only time will tell.